Hello and welcome to Nobody's Coming to Fix You, a podcast for women, by women, talking all things life, empowerment and transformation. My name is Del Beer. I'm a businesswoman, sustainability advocate, industry leader in my field and have spent my whole career working in the fashion industry, working out what women actually want. I am the creator of the Sandsland Coaching and Transformation Programme and I am your host for this podcast. Joining me throughout the series will be lots of fabulous women and men too to talk about how we can share the best hacks to live our best lives. Welcome to the Sandsland podcast, where we explore personal growth, empowerment, and transformation. I'm your host, Albia, and today we have a very special guest, Sally B. She is, amongst other things, an accomplished author, motivational speaker, TV presenter, mother and wife, and that's in no particular order. So (laughs) we're very happy to have you here today, not only to discuss your amazing book, but also to talk about how to navigate positive change in life and how we can live our best life. So lovely to have you with us today. And to start off with, I just wanted to really talk about you and your role. And just before we came into this podcast, we were just met by somebody who introduced themselves to you. And the first thing she said was, you're a total inspiration. And it's really interesting because that's what I had in my notes as well. Oh, that's so nice. And actually people are just coming up to you and telling you that you're a total inspiration. So it's amazing that you've suffered from significant health challenges in your life. And yet here you are, you look absolutely beautiful. You're totally radiant and gorgeous, full of life, full of energy, doing lots of things, having lots of meetings. So tell me like, you lead this very busy life and you also have your mornings, um, what's that called? The morning community chat? Well, it's called the Sally B Method. The Sally B Method. Yes. That's the Sally B Method. So you have a lot of things going on. How do you find the balance? to keep all of these balls in the Mm. air. I don't know how I find the balance. I need to be busy. As you mentioned, I've got some health issues. I'm a survivor of six heart attacks now. It was officially five, and then I had one more little one last summer, which I'm now owning up to. (laughs) And I need to be busy. I enjoy being busy. I know how short life is, and I know when you're done, you're done. And I want to make the most of every moment. And it's not just something I say flippantly, which I think some people do. I actually embrace that and live my life like that. So today we've sat together, we've had lunch, we've come to do this. It's so lovely to be with you. Before this, I was in another meeting about TV. Before that, I was in another meeting. And when I say meetings, that makes it sound really boring. Really, I feel sitting together with friends and talking about the excitement of life. Lovely. That's so nice. I mean, we're going to unpack it throughout this conversation. But let's talk about your book. I mean, I read the book and I didn't feel like calling it a book was enough, actually. I thought it was so much more than a book. I felt like it was like a life manual. You know, it was full of so many things. There were so many practical things in the book that people could take away there's that sort of advice but actually the red thread running through all of it was optimism positivity it was so uplifting trying to get us all to see the, the world through like a more positive lens somebody said in one of your reviews that it's a book that we should be handed out to every 18 year old girl 
Well, that's why I wrote it. I actually wrote this book for my daughter. Halfway through writing it, I said, I went away to write for a week. I went down to Devon for a week to have peace and quiet and to write it. And she said, why are you going, Mum? And I said, I'm writing a book and this book's for you. And she said, well, can I politely decline? And I went, no, you can't. <laughs> this book is for you, whether you like it or not. And I really wanted to put down on paper life lessons, everything that I would like for her to know. We all have to go on our own journey. And I know she's 19, coming up for 20. So I know she's going to make all her own mm. mistakes. I get that. But there's certain things that I think I can just save you a bit of pain. You know, yes. if you chop your arm off, it's really going to hurt. So you don't have to try it. I've already tried it. It hurts. So just trust me when I say don't go there because that really hurts. And instead, try this path. And that's really what I wanted it to be, is a book that can be passed down. Just on the back of the book, I've written, this book is written from the heart for every woman to share the important lessons in life that I and others I respect and love have learnt along the way. Our lives are full of love and laughter, tears and heartache, and they all matter in equal measure. Absolutely. I believe that really strongly, you know, I'm 55 now, super duper proud to have made it to 55. And I'm only here because of all my failures and my past pains and my vulnerabilities. So I don't want anybody younger than me to judge themselves harshly. I want them to know that those are the bits of life that need celebrating. Yeah, beautifully put. That's so true. I think that's the thing that I came away with. I thought, actually, it was very relevant to me. I'm the same age as you. But I think there's lots of people a lot younger than us who, in this world of content overload that we live in where you don't know which way to turn and which direction to take and what you should be saying and how you should be behaving i just thought gosh this is so relevant to so many people and i really hope that a lot of young people embrace the book and i'd be really curious to know what kind of feedback have you had from people all positive feedback i have to say and the most pleasing feedback has come when ladies or girls have bought it and their husbands, brothers, dads, boyfriends have read the book. And when they've contacted me to say, wow, I never thought about that. And wow, is this what you mean by when you say this? And ah. so it's a life lesson for them as well. I'm all about empowering women, inspiring women. I work with Soroptimists International, which are an international organization that's concerned with the education and safety of girls and women worldwide. Okay. But of course that includes men too. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so the fact that the best feedback or the most impactful feedback that I've enjoyed is from the guys that have taken a sneaky look and then they've emailed me and said, wow, thanks for that. And it's really helped me understand a little bit more. That's so interesting, isn't it? Because I think there's, there's probably very little to support men as mm. well in this area mm. like in, in this kind of manual self-help you know how to live your life yeah and don't get me wrong I'm absolutely not the right person to necessarily support the guys but I can definitely aid in their understanding of the women and the girls in their yes. life Yes. Because understanding is part of it. You know, I can't get inside a man's brain. I've got a female brain and my brain definitely works in a certain way. And I know the majority, I know it's a big sweeping statement, but the majority of the men that I know in my life, you know, my dad who's now passed, but my brother, my husband, my boys, my sons, I understand and 
appreciate that their minds work in very different mm. ways but at least if we can help them understand where we're coming from then I'm supporting the girls absolutely yeah no up there definitely so I want to talk a little bit about the word that I think I talk about a lot and it's the name of our new business Santalan and the word is actually balance Santalan is the Hindi translation for balance and I think it's the thing that so many of us feel that we lack in our lives and I think for so many of us we feel that we do some things very well and we fail at a lot of other things. And I think that one of the things that we really want to focus on with Santalan is like, how do we get balance into people's lives so that people can lead more fulfilled lives? Because so many of us get to the point in life where we say, oh, I'm never going to be able to do this. That ship has sailed. And when I was reading the book, you wrote in capitals, I am going to be an actress. Oh, yes. Even if it's 80. Yeah. And I just thought, brilliant. Yes. And I, this was so refreshing because so many people I speak to will say, you know, I always wanted to be this. I always wanted to do this. And actually, you were saying, I'm still going to do it. Well, that's funny that you bring that up because that started from a conversation that I wrote in the book about when I was at school and I was 14 or 15. And I can remember having a chat with the careers teacher and he, he said, are you going to be a childminder? And he knew me from the neighborhood where I lived and knew that I looked after children because he said, you love kids, don't you? And I can remember thinking, no, I don't. I mean, I don't hate them, yeah. <laughs> but I don't love, obviously I love my own, but I don't love them. I just like earning money so I can yeah. buy makeup. And then he said, you're good at English. And I kept going, no, sir, I'm going to be an actress. Well, how about this? What about to fall back on? No, sir, you don't understand. I'm going to be an actress. And I was an actress for a while. I was a jobbing actress, which you can say is not a very good actress. <laughs> a jobbing actress. I had small speaking parts in loads of programmes at the time I was doing it. But I'm determined still to do it properly one day. And in fact, before this, I just had a meeting with a TV executive talking about my show based on the book. But it was killing me not to say to him, oh, but you know, I can act and I want to be an actress. So do you want to cast me in your next movie? Because of course he doesn't want to cast me in his next movie. I mean, but you don't know. You, well, don't... you don't know. But exactly. You have to put it out there somewhere. And if only I put it out in my book, which is actually a very personal thing that I suppose everyone reads it. But no, I will go back to that one day. That 100%. This is so fantastic. And I just wanted to delve into this a little bit. I think that it is so refreshing to hear somebody say I may have more to do in that area and I'm going back to it but for so many of us who say oh like you know that ship has sailed why do you think that women kind of like let those things go and stop chasing after things that really matter I think it's listening to society too much yeah because I think society tells us I think society tells us we become invisible. I absolutely think that's rubbish. We don't, we don't become, I'm certainly not invisible. No. You're certainly not no. invisible. And the women I help must never feel invisible. I think what happens is we all have, you know, you're born strong. We're born expecting to succeed. As a baby, you're born turning your head towards the breast to get milk. You just know, you trust yes. as a baby that if you do that, something will be put in your mouth and you'll get fed. You know that. As you then grow, you go into toddlerdom and you learn to walk. You fall over 10,000 times. Nobody says to you, give up, mm. you're not going to make it. You just keep getting yeah. up until you can do it. We're born with that 
survival instinct, I suppose. And then what happens, I think, through life is we get more intellectual, so therefore we're able to process things more, and we get more knockbacks. We realise that life can actually be quite tough. Mm. We have things happen to us, we have failures, we lose jobs, we lose people, we lose money, we lose relationships, and things go wrong and we take a battering, and we still have to get back up. But as you get older, I think that becomes much harder just because we now have the fear we know what can go wrong. So it's a case of just reimagining those instances and making sure that your perspective changes. You can't change what happens to you, but you can change the perspective of your thought. So if you think, okay, well, I failed at this job, I got sacked, and, and I believe me, I've got sacked from many jobs. I've made so many mistakes in my life. So I could either sit here and say, I've made a million mistakes, therefore, I'm not gonna try again at anything, or I personally can change my own perspective, mm. and I can go, well, yeah, I learned a lesson there. I, God, I've learned so many lessons. I'm the queen of lesson learning because I've gone wrong so many times. I've learned so many lessons. It's all about your perspective. But everything in society, in media and people around us tell us that we're not worthy. But I don't believe that. And I'm happy to kick back and shout back and say, actually, yes, I am. So I've got loads of experience, so you can listen to me now. So basically you're saying that the, those who are strong enough, those who can kick back and say, I refuse to conform to society's pressures, can carry on. But actually the people that are kind of giving up probably are getting maybe overwhelmed by it or maybe feeling that, you know, I can't challenge the system. I think lots of people accept what they feel is a normal way to feel. Mm. So you have to challenge yourself all the time. Every morning I wake up, I have depression. I, I have depression. I take antidepressants medication along with all my heart meds. I'm very open about that fact and I will for the rest of my life. I also struggle with anxiety. I struggle with self-doubt. Don't we all? Yeah. You know, most people listening would say they do too. The difference is I choose not to accept it. So when I wake up in the morning, always every night before I go to sleep, my last thought is, will I wake up in the morning? Because I live with this condition and obviously it scares me. So that's always my first thought. But then I wake up in the morning and my first thought is, oh goodness, thank you. Thank you, mm. God, I've woken up today. But then the worry and the depression steps in and, and I can be on the floor. And I think, no, I don't want to live my life like this. Every day is precious. So therefore, I go through a process of changing my mindset. I get in the shower. I have what I call a positivity shower, which is just this water washing over me. I imagine it as positivity water washing away my negative thoughts. Nice. When the negative thoughts are gone, I just replace them with grateful thoughts so when you're grateful I'm thinking oh my kids are all good my husband's good my this is good my that you know I've woken up this morning that's good oh the sun's shiny as well that makes everything even better and when you start thinking like that you can't feel sad you can't no. focus on self-doubt so I'm just changing the focus and then I genuinely have a good day now what I could do is just accept my low mood, in which case I would want to be invisible. Mm. But 
I think partly because of what I've been through, I know I don't have to accept what is delivered to me every morning when I wake up. So I work hard to change that. And then I genuinely have a brilliant day. I love my days. I always wake up depressed. I always go to bed really happy. And I get happier as the day goes on because I'm filling myself with more stuff that I know makes me feel happy. So the message I would give to anybody is if you are struggling, if you're feeling overwhelmed and if you are feeling invisible, it's up to you whether you believe that message your brain is telling you or not. Because your brain doesn't always tell you no, the truth. It no. keeps you in a comfort zone a lot of the time because it thinks it's keeping you safe. And what may be happening is some vulnerability or some pain that you've been through has been really quite overwhelming and your mind is going, okay, I'm going to just keep you nice and safe. I'm going to keep you at home. You're going to stay invisible. You're going to wear beige. <laughs> You're not going to put your head above the parapet. And that's part of your brain that's there to keep you safe. But you don't always have to listen to that part of your brain. You can overpower it. And I would will everyone to give it a go because when you can over power that low part of your brain then life gets so exciting and it's all within your control i'm blown away by hearing this because you're living your life almost on both extremes until i read the section about the depression i was thinking to myself gosh you're living your life with so much positivity and energy and then i sort of read the bit about the depression and i thought and now when I hear that you wake up one side of the spectrum and then you've got to bring yourself right to the other side, that journey throughout the day, that is quite significant. Mm -hmm. And that you put in all of these tools, all mm -hmm. of these like, whether it's your positivity shower, your gratitude, you know, any of like mindful things or whatever. It's really interesting that you own the kind of control. I heard you say, I think it was somewhere else, that, that you... It's not what happens to you, it's how you react to it. Yes. And I think that is really interesting where you're just not being the victim in this at all. Yeah, no. And you're like, I'm not prepared to accept what my brain says. I will put enough processes into place yeah. that I finish my day happy. in a really happy place. Do you know, I can remember when I was 36 when I suffered my first three heart attacks. At the time, I had three children under the age of five. So I had a four-year-old, a two-year-old and a nine-month old and I had two weeks in hospital and they said oh you're, you're never getting out of here I had to say goodbye to the children had to say goodbye to my husband it was the most awful time then I came home and the recovery started and I recognized really early on that I could play this two ways I could either be the victim or I could be the survivor so if ever you hear me speak, when I speak publicly, I never say I suffered six heart attacks. I always say I survived six yeah. heart attacks. That's the difference. The language that you use to yourself. I used to come down every single morning and say to my kids, oh, you're lucky, your mummy's still gorgeous, which was the language I used to them. And they go, yeah, right, whatever. But in my head, what I meant was, you're still lucky, your mummy's still alive but I chose to replace the alive yeah. with the word gorgeous. The language that you use to yourself matters. The language that you use to people around you matters. It's really not rocket science, mm. but just small things like that, changing your perspective on your situation is the only thing you can do. I can't help the fact I've got this condition, I've got it in my brain, 
I mean, I was just happy they found a brain when they did the scan, but I've got it in my brain, I've got it in my neck, my carotid, my heart, my liver, my kidneys, going into my legs. So it means I'm prone to heart attack, stroke and aneurysms, mm. which is a really difficult diagnosis mm. to live with. However, I've made it, I'm 55. And, you know, I'm still a hottie. Let's yeah, face for it. Sure, for sure, for sure. I'm still a hottie. In my eyes. I, and mean, I think in everyone's that's, eyes, that's actually. That's the only way I can look at life because the minute I don't think I am, then I won't be anymore. So whatever you believe will be. Do you see what I'm that's, saying? Yeah. So I choose to keep energetic, to keep busy. Some days... There is a caveat to this because some days, obviously, I've got health problems and some days I really struggle. Mm. And in which case I go to bed for mm. a week and I'll say on all my socials, right, I'm off. <laughs> I'm going to bed for a week. I'll see you next week. I'm really struggling. I've got a chest infection or whatever's going on. I'm really not feeling good. And I think it's important to be honest about that too. Yeah. But that's, as you were saying, Santan means balance. balance. Life is a balancing act. It takes work for me to be up. Sometimes I'm down and I have to go with that. My mm. physical being has to go with that. And well, that's okay. That's not a problem. No. Because it'll allow me to be up again. So you are kind to yourself. Oh, incredibly kind to myself. I'm incredibly selfish in some ways. I will always put my physical needs first. Always. Because if I, I, I'm, I'm scared, I don't want to die. So my physical needs at home, you know, I don't carry things. I have people that help me with shopping, with ironing. I never carry heavy bags because I can't, mm. you know, I'm on a complete no lift yeah. ban. If I try to lift a suitcase, even just from here right. onto the scales yeah. at the airport, that could be enough to kill me. So I stand there saying, I'm sorry, I know I don't look like a heart patient, but would you mind very much? And people are yeah. generally incredibly kind and helpful, and I've never had a problem. Someone has always helped me. Yeah, so I am incredibly kind to myself. I have to be, um, but everybody does. But I think, it, like you say, you feel like you have to be from a physical, just to, to save your life, but I think it's also really important to be kind anyway right but we're not that kind to ourselves are we no we're, we always put other people first yeah well yes I always say when I'm doing my talks and, and my coaching that do you love your best friend because she's perfect and people go no do you love your best friend because she's the slimmest body mm. you've ever known? no do you love your best friend because her hair is just no so why don't we love ourselves because we're yeah. not perfect we haven't got yeah. the perfect body face nothing no. but why why don't we love ourselves and and that's exactly what you're saying you have to be kind on yourself so that's part of the journey I think and that's what I do write about in the book is don't waste any time on judging yourself mm. I write a whole chapter in there called wasted time where I go back to my 20s and I was living in London, I was modelling and acting, I was travelling the world, I was being flown all over the place and I thought I was horrible, fat and ugly. I had no self-confidence in the way I looked at all. Now, when I hit my 30s, I looked back to my 20s and thought, what was I worrying about? Mm. God, I was gorgeous. My 30s were spent bringing up three babies and having heart attacks and living in jeans and hair in a ponytail and no makeup because I was so busy bringing up these children. So I thought I was fat and ugly. And then I got to my 40s, looked back at my 30s, and I thought, what was I worrying about? <laughs> I was gorgeous. 
And then it suddenly dawned on me, finally, in my 40s, I thought, what? How many more decades am I going to waste when you never get that day back? You no. never get that decade no. back. You never get this hour back. So why on earth would I waste it on self-doubt? Sure. So I decided there and then that I would never do that again, and I never have. So now I'm sure to some people I probably come across as incredibly I don't know what the word would be, arrogant or self-righteous or whatever, when I say things like, well, I'm gorgeous, I'm a hottie. But I have to believe that because I've spent far too long believing the opposite. I'm never going to be this age again. I'm never going to get today back again. So why? I can believe one of two things. I can either believe, oh, well, I'm rubbish and I'm ugly, or I can believe I'm a hottie and I'm gorgeous. Well, I don't care what anyone else thinks. That's what I'm choosing to believe. So that's what I mean by everything's yeah. in your control. Yeah. And I think as you get older, that becomes much more relevant to you because we all go through self-doubt, don't we, when we're younger? No, exactly. And when you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you say, I'm a hottie, how does it make you feel? Like a hottie. So, so it's, that, it's that instant. Yeah, like a you hottie. You say it and you're feeling it. Do you know what? I have my days hit by the ugly stick, <laughs> but I'm still a hottie on those days. And what I mean by that is I like to set my life on fire. Okay, I'm 55. I've given birth to three children. I've had six heart attacks. You know, if you've seen a balloon that's been blown up and let down a few times, it's not a pretty sight. So, okay, I could describe myself like that. Or I could stand in front of the mirror and say, but I'm a hottie. Nobody has to see me without clothes on if I don't want yeah. them to. <laughs> and this is my choice. What, yeah. what choice do you have? I know I've been at the end of my life twice. I've passed away mm -hmm. twice and been brought back. And maybe it's that that gives me these sort of, I don't know, I sometimes think I must come across as being quite superior. I absolutely don't mean that. I don't mean to be like that. But in my life, I just know that I've always got two choices. And I know which one I will always take. Mm. Because I know the alternative. When you're not here, you're not here and it won't matter. No, exactly. Exactly. So... The advice that you'd give to women who are really suffering, who are not waking up in the morning and seeing a hottie in the mirror, what would you say to them? Well, come and join me on the Sally V method and I'll make you believe you are a hottie. Even at 99 years old, you're a hottie. Yeah. I think it's about refocusing your thought process. We are all very good at focusing on what makes us unhappy we're all very good at focusing on the negative so we all have a I talk about this a lot we all have a happiness level mm. a happiness slide and if you said to me today oh Sally B it's lovely to meet you and your hair looks rubbish I'd have gone oh no and I'd have felt like that for forever mm. for about five hours or five days mm. if you just said to me oh I love your hair Sally mm. you've got great hair I'd have gone oh thank mm. you my happiness level would have lifted up for about three minutes mm. and then gone back down now, I don't know why, I don't really understand why that is, but all I know is our brains gravitate towards the negative and we hang on to that. Mm. So, I mean, if someone is really struggling, I'd say, write down how brilliant you are. Mm. Write it down and these are the facts. You can't, you can't argue with the facts that you have had a wonderful career you've brought up these children and they're brilliant mm. what a fantastic person you are you can't 
argue with the fact that you have got 100% success rate in getting through the day because you're still here today. So celebrate that fact. And all the things that have gone wrong for you, think, yeah, I've learnt about it and I've survived. So I am still here. And that is what I'm talking about when I say you're a hottie. That's what makes people a hottie. Yeah. It's not about how other people judge you. It's not no. about your looks. It's about how you feel. And how you feel on the inside will come out then in your eyes and in your smile. And that's what makes you a hottie. So it doesn't matter what your age you are and if you're struggling, you just have to focus on all the brilliant things that you've done. And the most brilliant things will be the biggest failures. Yeah. Absolutely, sure. Because that's when brilliant shows itself, right? Definitely. And I think also, like, through gratitude and practicing gratitude, I think it also helps you to get closer to things that you probably didn't have the capacity to think about before. I started practicing gratitude maybe six months ago, and, you know, I found it really strange. I found it really difficult to do. And I remember there were days when I was like, and it sounds terrible when I say it now, but I was like, I don't know what to say that I'm grateful for. Like, I couldn't really think of anything. And now when I do it, I like have to stop myself because like 10 minutes have passed and I'm grateful for everything. And I think that gratitude just kind of helped me to get to appreciate myself more, I think. So rather than being able to get directly to the place where I say, oh, I'm a hottie, I say like, I'm so grateful that I can see and that I have got lo lovely long hair and I have this and this and this. I think through that journey, I started building up this picture of accepting myself much more so gratitude maybe is a good channel to work through as well yeah it definitely is i think it's a case of understanding the opposite of where you're at now mm. because if people can't find the gratitude in where they are now that must mean they're in a very dark place are you actually in a really dark mm. place or are you just not aware of how light the place is that you're in? I talk to people and say, give me any situation and I will show you the gift. There is a gift in every situation. That's that gratitude. Mm. And I can remember doing a talk with a room full of people and one lady challenged me on that, quite rightly so. And she stood up and said, my daughter's here with me now. She was abused from the age of seven to the age of 15. Tell me the gift in that. And I said, right, that is the perfect example. Do I wish that had happened to her? Of course not. Absolutely not, there's no doubt. I said, but just tell me about your relationship. What's your relationship like? And the mum said, really good, we're really close. And then I turned to the daughter and I said, and what are you doing now? She's 21 now. She said, I'm counselling, I'm learning to mm. counsel other kids that have been through this. And I said, and how does that make you feel? And she said, oh, it just it gives me goosebumps. It makes me feel worthwhile. I feel like this was my job. This was my purpose for life. And I said, and there is the gift. Of course, I would have taken that pain away from you as a child. Mm. I would have got rid of that person. Mm. Of course I would. But we can't do that. Mm. But you have to find the gift in it because if not, it will crush you up and yeah. that will kill you. And you have found the gift. Mum, mm. your gift is the closeness, the relationship that you have with your daughter. And the mum helped have this person mm. put away and helped her daughter through it. I mean, what greater gift yeah, can you give your really. child? And to the daughter, you have developed this 
purpose and passion out of the most terrible traumatic mm. situation that is a gift you now can survive anything mm. and honestly they left the talk just I could tell they were feeling like hotties because they knew that their purpose on this planet was set in stone it mattered to so many people and that's what we all need to carry us through mm. And there is that gift for all of us. You said before about what would I say to someone if they were struggling. You have to find your passion and your purpose and your gift. Yeah. And that will help you. You've obviously found yours coaching and you're setting up your retreats and your ongoing coaching. And you've been doing your gratitude practice. You found your purpose, which actually you probably knew all mm. along. But society says, well, go and work here, go and do this, da 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 we all do those things and that's why I think this age is really special because generally we rediscover ourselves mm. and I think at this age working without purpose is very difficult I would say it's just so much easier everything I've done with Santavan since deciding to actually launch it I haven't had a moment where I've thought is this the right thing I haven't questioned it I haven't doubted it it feels so natural and we're having, a, I said, our retreat in January. I'm not remotely concerned about it. You know when you just feel that everything you're doing is, like, it's on the track. I know that it will always improve and it will get better over time and everything. It's like how I felt reading the book. And I thought, for all the women that you hear struggling, and then, you know, you see this book and you think, gosh, there are just so many, there are so many answers in the book, you know. And I just think having the purpose to kind of try and just support other women and help us all get through it and to live live a life that just feels like we're not surviving. I think the humour as well was like <laughs> such a thing. I laughed all the way through it. And there was this moment, and I am going to ask you to uh, read out this one paragraph, which I literally laughed out loud for about 10 minutes. And I thought, this is brilliant. So, yes. This book, really, it, it was written from my daughter, from me, but it's also from my mum. So my mum died, she was 68 when she died far too young and it didn't need to happen anyway that's a whole other story and I miss her so much she was so brilliant and she wrote a book about my life so I resurrected bits of that and oh. added it into here so the bit that made you giggle was actually something that my mum oh, wrote okay okay like my mum was called Jill and I said before she died Jill wrote a book about my life as if speaking in my voice and these are just some of her wonderful words so this paragraph says, so I'm Sally. I left school with a smile on my face and one and a half O-levels in my pocket. Saying that I left school might suggest that I actually attended. That could be slightly overstating the case. I did sort of go, but not sort of on too regular basis. <laughs> of course, I had to put in an appearance occasionally, if only to keep an eye on the talent. One eye on the talent and the other eye on the competition. <laughs> That's clearly how my mum viewed it. I loved it so much. I was reading it and I thought, oh, we all need some light-hearted relief in our lives. It was just so, it was so brilliant. It was great fun. And I just thought, actually, the message again is that we don't need to take ourselves so seriously. We don't have to conform. We don't have to do all those societal things we're told to do. And like, if we don't go in one direction, we'll probably succeed in another direction. But I think that, like you said, finding your gift, finding your purpose, being optimistic, I think all of those things are so important. And what I wanted to move on to was how we change 
our habits because that's one of the things that I think a lot of us struggle with. I think that if you ask a lot of women, they'll say, weight is always going to be one of the big things, I think. But weight, weight will probably be one of the first things that people will say and, and how people look, you know. I wish I could exercise more. I wish I could lose some weight. I wish I could turn that side hustle into a career or even have a side hustle. I wish I could meet a guy or I wish I could have a different partner to the one that I have. All of these things that we have and they all feel like to a lot of people so difficult to attain because it feels like a mountain ahead of you. And I, I'm a firm believer of like micro changes. So I don't really believe in, and I've done this so many times and failed, where I've embarked on something and it's adventurous and I've done it for two or three weeks and it all sounds fantastic. And as fast as I've started it, I've kind of fallen off. So now my new approach, and it's kind of what Santalan is based on as well because it's a 12 month program. But the approach now is that if I want to do something, I have to accept that it's going to take time for it to be sustainable and that if I make micro changes every single week, I will get that big, massive transformation at the end, but in a way that happens really subtly all the way through. How do you feel about sort of that versus just going bam and making change? I think I'm very similar to you, actually. I think when I was younger, I can remember wanting to do a TV show before I started working on The Lorraine Show. And I was talking to a TV company about doing my own show. And my manager at the time, she had an absolute fit because she came up to visit. And I said, right, I've got, the t <laughs> I've got the title sequence. I've done some posters. I've had some bags printed and I've had some mugs printed. <laughs> and she was like, what? I said, oh yes, they're all ready from the studio. Now, how talk about jumping ahead before you're ready. Because obviously that show never got made. I can't even remember what it's called, but I can remember all these mugs that we had around for years. With the, I was imagining like the loose women mugs yeah. that I'm going to have. I think I called it the good life. The good uh, okay. life. Anyway, however, now I've learned just the same as you. And I think life is a learning curve. We're always learning. We all make mistakes. So I talk a lot about tiny, happy habits, right? There's this thing about if I said to you, okay, Dalby, you can have a million pounds cash now I'm gonna give this to now or I'll get I'm gonna give you a penny and that's just going to double every day for the next 30 days which would you go quickly penny. and <laughs> but most people would say I exactly. have a million pounds yeah wrong yeah. because what happens is it's about consolidating yeah. and compounding these yeah. tiny habits if you double a penny every day for 30 days you end up with something like four million la 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 so much more money we don't realize that so compound habits small habits can have a massive difference so if you're looking at a great big mountain that you need to climb or move and you think i can't do that all you have to do is move the first stone yeah and then the next stone yeah. and that's exactly what yeah. you have to do and the next yeah. stone and each stone that you successfully manage to move you'll get filled with a sense of becoming a hotter yeah. you'll be like Oh, I've yeah. achieved that. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go for a slightly bigger stone. Oh, today I'm going to move two stones. Oh, the next day I'm feeling really tired. I'm going to bed for the day. Oh, the next day I feel much better. I'm back to one stone, back to two stone. It's definitely the way to go. Yeah. Small, tiny steps have massive differences. And I think when we're hard on ourselves, just work on one thing at a time. Yeah. I say to people... I made a commitment last year <laughs> to do 10 sit-ups a day. Okay. 
which I did for the whole year. I did 10 sit-ups every day. Now, the thing is, by the time you got down on the floor and you've done your 10, you think, well, I'm down here now. I may as well do another <laughs> 10. And then I'll get up. Even on my absolute worst day, I managed to do 10 sit-ups. By the end, I was doing probably about 100 sit-ups, but still on a bad day, I'd at least do 10. So a message I would give to everyone listening is if there's something you want to change, work out on your worst day what's the least you can do and commit to doing that every day we all brush our teeth yeah. right every day we all wear our seat belts yeah. we don't use our phone in the car anymore we all used to yeah, yeah. now if you see someone using their phone yeah. in the car you, I look at them like they're a child murderer yeah. because it's like what are you doing put yeah. the phone down we all are able to adapt to new habits but it has to be either legislated or be done in small yes. tiny yes. pieces in terms of that whole be kind to yourself, that's how I see all the change I want in my life. Whenever I think about something, I first put like a time frame on it. Like I say to myself, because I'm such a impatient person, I want everything yesterday. I want to do everything quickly. But now when I'm trying to create sustained change, I will often say, I will get there, but that will probably take me six months. Or I don't actually put the time on it, but I start waking up. I start breaking down into monthly kind of modules, as I like to call it. Like yeah. I'm going to try and do this, then I'm going to try and do this, and then and then I'm going to then I'm going to get there. And I feel like that way, it will not be so much about I went onto some regime. It'll just be I changed my life, mm. and that's what we want, really, isn't it? Because mm. at this stage in our life, I think we're too exhausted and too tired to have you know, yo-yo diets mm. and kind of fad hobbies and all the rest mm. of it. Like, it's just exhausting when you keep on diving in and then just kind of coming straight out again. So mm. I think that's, I feel like, the more gentle way of us achieving the results that we want. And it is the more realistic way. On mm. the Sally Bean Method, I help ladies lose weight. And that's usually the reason that they join but that very quickly becomes secondary to everything else that we do. And the reason for that is losing weight is actually incredibly easy. You eat less and move more. Mm. Okay, that's a science, so why can't mm. we all do it? Yeah. It's because we're emotional beings and yeah. we use food as emotion. So I always say to them, right, what we're doing is focusing on making you feel great now. Mm. So don't wait until you've lost 10 pounds to feel great. Let's get you feeling great now. And then if you want to lose 10 pounds, you yeah, can. Yeah. Easily. Because nobody ever put on weight when they were feeling amazing. Ah, true. Never. Yeah. We only put on weight when we're not feeling amazing. So we kind of leave the weight loss to one side, yeah. focus on mindset, get really strong and happy and healthy up here. And then the weight comes off, surprise, surprise. And because I give them eating plans and I give them recipes, but that's pointless if you're not working yeah. on your mindset first it's not so much about being in control it's about not being controlled sure sure by anyone else or anything else you know exactly where you're aiming for and you know what you're aiming for when you've identified what your passion is and your passion is something that has to match what you enjoy doing on a day-to-day -day basis with your core belief your core trust mm. instinct and that's what you're saying you know now 
ah, oh, this is what I should be doing. I'm not worried about it. And it takes the hard work yeah. away, doesn't it? Yeah. I've just been filming my series, Don't Go Faster Than Your Guardian Angel Can Fly. And rehearsals, I mean, we always had a couple of hours script meeting before each show. We never used it all for the script. We'd have 10 minutes because we knew what we wanted to talk about. It really didn't need going over. And you get to the point where you just trust. No, this is, I know exactly the message that I want to give. And so you have enough confidence then to go with the flow. And it's very releasing. It's very relaxing. It's a nice way to live your life. Definitely, definitely. And talking about like living your life in a good way, one subject that I'm focusing on at the moment is decluttering my life and you touched on it in your book as well it's really interesting so I've worked in fashion my whole life and although I work mainly in sustainable fashion I have accumulated a lot of clothes over the years I have to confess and I now on this sort of mission to kind of clear it out of my house and I kind of realized that my wardrobe kind of was a mixture of like pre-COVID and post-COVID. And I've worked in different places where, you know, when I worked in Berlin, my wardrobe looked different because the whole vibe in that office was very different. And when I came back to London, it was different again. And I feel like I got to a place where, and I've never really said this about my wardrobe before, but it, it felt like it had become like a toxic wardrobe. Mm. And I was like, gosh, this feels like I can't, not only can I not find anything to wear, but it's like, I feel like even clothes can become quite burdensome sometimes some clothes can hold great memories but sometimes I think that what you need is a clean slate and to just kind of clear out do you do anything in your in your Sally B method around sort yeah. of Marie Kondoing your life yeah definitely oh that's part of it now interestingly last week or the week before we recorded a program around this and we started off calling it less is more the art of living a happier healthier life okay but actually what i realized throughout the program because i did it with my co-presenter nikki pattinson and a live audience a studio audience and it turned out everyone has a different opinion on that so we decided halfway through we changed the program title and it was like learn to live your happier and healthier life by finding your focus because everyone was different things that clutter that was around me that was stressing me out that they weren't triggers and they weren't stressing for other people sure. so it's about first of all identifying what matters to you again i'm very much like you i hate decision fatigue mm. i like to know exactly what i'm wearing so my wardrobe is really a capsule wardrobe mm. and i love it so if I bring something in, something has to go after okay. the charity shop. Great. And I only have out a maximum of five items that I'm wearing at a time. Because I don't know about you, but I wear the same things. Mm. Literally yesterday was the first day I went into autumn. I'm still on a yeah. summer top. I'm into my black trousers. Yeah. It was the first day. So what I've done this morning is I've got black trousers, which I can wear with mm. trainers if I'm dashing around mm. town, or high shoes if mm. I'm not walking far because I can't walk in mm. high heels. And the different tops and then different scarves and different... It takes away from me the decision fatigue, getting up in the morning going, oh, what shall I wear? And I find that that stresses me out. So having a very small wardrobe mm. of things that I'm wearing at the moment, and you tend to wear the same things mm. for a few weeks. I mean, you rotate mm. and clean, wash them, obviously, but I think it really works. And it leaves room for me to think about other stuff. Yes. And that's part of it. You have to be proactive in your journey yeah. to growing. And by growing, I mean learning mm. new things, reading new books, listening to meeting new people. You have to have space in order to do that. 
personally, I can't do that if I'm surrounded by clutter, particularly clothes, because mm. clothes are your identity. Yeah. And I need to know that what I'm wearing is right for me. If I don't feel comfortable, then I won't have a mm. good day, and that's not... Exactly. I think it's interesting because I, I had a photo shoot recently. It's one of the, my biggest, I mean, that's for a whole different podcast. I mean, the, the headache of like having my picture taken, I can't tell you, I, I hate it so much. But anyway, I had to get some outfits ready. And so I had to go into my wardrobe and find five or six outfits that would have been worn on the day. And I pulled them out and I put them on another rail. And I've been working with that rail like now, it's become my new wardrobe. And I realized that actually, because I tried all of those clothes on and they all fit me and I liked the way I looked in them, which is why I chose them for the shoot, it gave me a lot of happiness every time I went out to reach out to that particular rail, as opposed to going into my main wardrobe, where you try something on and think, oh, that doesn't really suit me anymore, or that's a bit tight, or that's too loose, or whatever. So I think it's just this idea of like, kind of staying in a place where clothes bring you joy, rather than kind of potential misery. Mm. You mentioned Marie Kondo. I absolutely agree with her philosophy. Her attitude that everything has to give you something back. So if you look at those clothes, those outfits, and they bring you great joy Mm. and happiness, then they're the ones to keep. If you look at other ones and think, oh, well, that one makes me look like a sack of potatoes, Mm. then move it out. Um, I can remember doing a Marie Kondo on my dressing room, and I had all sorts of bits and bobs and pictures and things up. And she said... I had to go through everything and things that don't bring you joy, get rid of. And I got rid of everything. <laughs> because I just thought, actually, a clear work top, that gives me joy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, these things, they've been sitting around. I've just got them because they're mine. But do, would I miss them if they were mm. gone? Yeah. Absolutely not, yeah. no. So in the same way that you should declutter your mind, I talk about decluttering your emails. Yeah. If you have 10,000 emails that you don't read, go through and unsubscribe to everything that you don't want go through old email addresses I've got loads of email addresses I just don't use that I still had on my computer just get rid of those I am the opposite of a hoarder I love chucking stuff out because I feel it gives me space to grow I think that's great I think this this thing about the email is fantastic I think also that idea of the content overload that we're all suffering. I wake up in the morning and I'm like, how did I get 70 emails since I went to sleep? And actually 60 of them are not gonna get opened because I don't have the time Mm. and they don't serve me today. But I think you're right, keeping that discipline so that you're not letting things kind of like Mm. come in too close. I think that's really important. I've never had a capsule wardrobe. I've never really believed in it. And you write a little bit in the book about how to create the capsule wardrobe. And I think that the great thing about capsule wardrobes is they stand the test of time. They're incredibly sustainable. And I went to the Coco Chanel exhibition last week. Oh, did you at the Victorian Albert? Just, it was so amazing. And when the freakiest thing is, when you're looking at a pair of slingbacks from the 1960s that are on sale now in Chanel. Yeah. The same handbags are on sale. Oh my gosh. 50 years on. And I'm like, how this woman managed to create a brand that was was going to be the ultimate sustainable brand, yeah, I guess. Yeah, but and she followed her passion, didn't she? Ex- her purpose, and she totally. that was what worked for her. I'm going to go and see that, but also next, not this coming weekend, the next weekend, I'm going to Paris, and I'm going to the Dior Museum. Oh, My amazing. friend has booked for us to go there, and I want to go and see the Chanel Museum at the v the, the exhibition there. But I love all of that. Sustainable fashion is so important. 
I think certainly as you get older, because you develop your style. So Nikki, who I work with on the show, she always wears black. She always wears a black jumper, black trousers, black boots, always the same. And she said if ever she turned up in a flowery dress and flip-flops, you'd know there was something wrong. <laughs> I'm the flowery girl and flip-flops. Yeah, yeah. Flowery dress and flip-flops girl. If ever I turned up in all black, even in summer, people go, oh, Sally B, are you okay? Yeah. So your identity is really part of yeah. everything about you, the way you present yourself to the world. And I think at the beginning of this, we talked about being invisible. Mm. And I think as women get older, particularly, they need to work harder on their identity mm. to know that they are making the most of what they've got. I'm famous for always showing a shoulder. Oh, really? Always, is, is that your I thing? Love, yeah, because I, I wouldn't show any other part of my body. I really would not submit it you know put anyone else through that but I think I've got gorgeous shoulders so I, I will always show and also obviously I'm a bit menopausal and I keep getting really hot so it helps with that but that's my thing so on the book it's kind of off the shoulder everything I wear when I'm working oh, is like this that's your signature because look. that's my favorite part of me and that's my look. People get that. If I turned up in a polo neck, yeah. they would say, are you Something's all right? happened. Yeah. What's happened to you? <laughs> but I, I, I definitely go to the exhibition. I think you'd love it. And also even her original store in Paris, I think it's Rue Cambon, I think it is, which is like the one that she actually set up. But I think the V&A do great exhibitions, mm. but this is actually really one of it's the best. It's until February, I think, I isn't think it? so. Yeah. And I was absolutely blown away. And I just thought to myself, you know, like I said, working in sustainable fashion and seeing that and seeing how so many things that she created literally 80 years ago we would wear today in a heartbeat yeah, absolutely. We were absolutely I mean there were so many amazing things and, and how her accessories and obviously the perfume and everything was at the test of time but but yeah she came from very little but just having that passion mm -hmm. and having that purpose and knowing mm -hmm. what she wanted to do it was it was so interesting mm -hmm. but yes there's just one thing I wanted to read out that you've said when one of the quotes in the book which I thought was really lovely whatever your age don't waste any time on self-doubt you are the original you and nobody can be a better and more gorgeous you than you. Mm. And I thought that was so powerful because at a time when so many people talk about suffering like imposter syndrome, and it's really bizarre because it's like, well, you are the real you. There can be no imposter. You're not trying to be somebody else. But the people not having the confidence in their own self. I think it's people, again, not identifying what makes them tick. Because yeah. when you get that, when you understand yourself properly, and I have to say, I'm saying this from a 55-year-old's point of view. When I was 20, I didn't know. Yeah. I was in competition with other people because I thought, oh, I'll be like them, and they're cool, mm. I'll be like them. And I, I didn't know myself well enough, so that definitely came with age. But at the age I am now, I've never known myself better. And I can now say, okay, I'm all right. Do you know what? I am all right. And this is a competition I can always win. I will always win the competition of being Sally B because I'm, I'm yes. me. You will always win the competition of being you. And when you look at life like that, it just gives you a different angle, yeah. a different perspective. And honestly, it makes life easier. And that's what I'm all about. It's about making life as happy and healthy as you possibly can day to day. Simple as that. 
Well, thank you so much. Some great things today that we've covered. I've really enjoyed the book and I think that the Sandstone community will really enjoy listening to this. I think there's so many great tips. One of the things, the last thing that I think I took from the book, which I thought was so powerful, was no one else is coming to fix you. You need to fix yourself. Mm. And I was like, whoa, kind of I read that mm. and that was a kind of a, a mic drop moment. I was like, that is absolutely true. And I think that like if we all had that as a note on our fridge mm. every single day that mm. we looked at, it's up to us to live our best life. Absolutely. And when, when you're gone, you're gone. And so make the most of it. Goes in a flash. 20 years ago was yesterday. Yeah. You know, absolutely. how quickly is the next 20 years going to go? Absolutely. Well, listen, thank you so much for being on our first podcast. You're so welcome. And good luck with the whole Santalan retreat and coaching project because it sounds absolutely wonderful and I cannot wait to give it a try. Oh, we can't wait to have you. So uh, yeah, so hopefully we will be together in January and we'll be talking more about the book and enjoying ourselves. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Nobody's Coming to Fix You. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please follow us and subscribe for future episodes. If you have any questions about the content of this show, all the details will be in the show notes. You can also reach out to us on Instagram and TikTok at Santaland Coaching. Nobody's Coming to Fix You is brought to you by Santaland, a 12-month coaching and transformation program for women. To learn more, please go to www.santaland.com. I'm your host, Albia. Until next time, stay well.